The following audio session was recorded live at the 2017 Region 2 Convention in Costa Mesa, California. Please visit oar2.org for information about the 2018 convention in Sacramento and to get links for more convention recordings. Thank you for listening. So, uh, let's see. We should start here with a serenity prayer. Um, Judy, would you like to lead us in the serenity prayer, please? God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Amen. Thank you. I love the serenity prayer because it always grounds me. You know, I love coming into a meeting. I don't care how stressed I feel. I can walk into a meeting, and I'm sure a lot of you can relate to this, and it's like a sigh of relief. You walk in the door, and it's like, okay, I'm good now. And um, hopefully, though, I don't come into the meeting stressed too often. (laughs) But it happens. I'm human. Um, Before we begin, I'd like to ask you if you could turn your cell phones down down or off, and uh, let you know that the opinions expressed here today are mine and yours, not OA as a whole, (laughs) because you will be talking, so they'll be our opinions. (laughs) Um, Please, when you um, share, keep in mind our program's um, anonymity, and also, if you want to share something, come up, and this is being recorded, come up and use the mic, if you don't mind. Um, let's see. And if you share, uh, we may, if you, and it's going to be recorded, you may need to sign the release form because these will be sold at the end for people who want to buy copies of the workshop uh, or the whole thing. So, okay. Um, uh, there's no audio recordings of this workshop, and that's because they want to make money on what they sell. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Um, As I said, um, I am your leader. The topic is Joyful Recovery Routines. I'm going to start with um, qualifying, telling you my story. And then we're going to do a little bit. It's a workshop, so that means you've got to do a little bit of activity. So I will share, and then I'll have some handouts for you. It's not something you have to, you're not going to write a whole lot, but a little bit of writing, one of those tools. And uh, hopefully when you leave here today, Uh, or from this session anyway, it'll give you some ideas of how you might choose to tweak your own recovery routine. I have to have a routine. Uh, My disease wants me to run around erratic, so I need a routine in my life, and that's one of the things I'll be sharing with you. So I'm going to pass my pictures around uh, as part of my qualifying, and this isn't something that I do very often because I don't like looking at my pictures. (laughs) And the only thing that I can say when I look at these pictures is, at least I didn't have as many wrinkles. (laughs) (laughs) It's only good that fat did me. So I'm going to pass them around. It's both sides. (laughs) Okay. Um, Hi, welcome. Um, When when you do share, by the way, if you could just introduce yourselves then. We won't go around the room and do it like a, a regular meeting. Do it if you share. Okay, um, I, did, I, I grew up in a family that was very addicted. My father was an alcoholic who didn't know he was an alcoholic, and I'm not judging him when I say that. He drank too much, and it affected his behavior. So 
I think it's safe to assume. My mother was a compulsive overeater who struggled with her weight all her life, and I watched my father and my mother, I watched them battle, and he, my alcoholic father, constantly tried to control my mother's eating. So you can imagine the messed up messages I got about weight and size and eating. And then to have my father constantly judging her for her weight was uh, very confusing for me as a kid. I felt like he was being mean to her because we loved her no matter what. We didn't care what size she was. And we felt like he was being very unfair to her. But you know what I learned growing up? I learned how to be that mean to myself about my weight. I didn't know that's what happened to me, but I became obsessed with my weight growing up because I watched my father obsessing over my mother's weight. So... (laughs) It's a tough way to grow up. Now, as a young person, I was actually pretty thin. I did not eat a lot, but it wasn't because I was a healthy eater as a young person. It was because my family didn't have a lot of money back then, and the eating was very controlled, very controlled. Um, So there was no way I could be overweight. What happened, though, when I became an adult and became responsible for my own eating is I found a new freedom, I could eat anything I wanted, and I learned as a child that the one reward we got that was related to food was, guess what? Dad would go to the bar, and Dad would come home with candy bars for the kids. (laughs) So that was, you know, we learned to not be so afraid of his drinking. Well, not till the next day, anyway, (laughs) because he always brought us candy. So those are the kind of things that I learn in a dysfunctional home. Now, saying that, I'm not saying that I had bad parents, because just like all of us with our disease, we have our good and our bad. You know, they, they, had their, they taught me some wonderful things, and they gave us a lot of love. And just like me, they made a lot of mistakes. So I'm not here to say, oh, feel sorry for me, because I had, you know, this rough childhood. I love my parents. I've forgiven them, and I've appreciated the things that, that I did learn that were good. I also learned some things not to do. And um, anyway, so as a, as a young woman, I went into the controlling my weight thing for at least 20 years before it got out of control. And I'm sure some of you are familiar with that cycle. It's gain 10 pounds, lose 10 pounds, gain back 12. Oh, God, here I go again. What's the latest diet? Let me do that. Let me lose that weight and then gain back 20. And I, I did that yo-yo thing with my dieting, my, my food, for 20 years of my adult life. I actually, in my adult life, have been 80 pounds more than what I am now. I have also been 40 pounds less than what I am now. So I've been at both ends of this disease. I don't have the pictures of me when I was in the extreme because those were when I was much younger, and I don't even remember where those pictures are. Those are my uh, overweight pictures that you're seeing. So my weight fluctuated 120 pounds as an adult from 40 pounds under, which, yes, I was in that. And I, I abused laxatives. I ran. I, you know, I tried every diet, diuretics, to keep me at that what I thought was a good weight. Um, I went to a doctor once when I was only I, I was probably a very healthy weight, and his uh, specialty was weight loss. And he was l- having people listen to tapes in his office, 
and giving you appetite. I never did speed any of those amphetamines because I was afraid of that. But he would give you appetite suppressants. And uh, this doctor actually ended up committing suicide because he was sued by the medical board because what he was doing was I was a normal weight, and he had me in his program. And I really believed that I had to weigh 20 pounds less, and he fed on that. And that was very sad because he was, he was just a very sick man. Anyway, so those are the kind of things that happened as, an, as I was going through my adult life. When I, at some point, I shifted from this compulsive dieter and sometimes anorexic bulimic into I started eating and I couldn't control it. Well, I happened to be uh, a registered nurse, and I worked in, what do you know, I worked in an alcoholism treatment program. <laughs> I, it was a blessing, though, because I remember going to a retreat at one of the, that the workers went to, and I saw these guys, because a lot of the people that worked in the treatment programs were people who were in recovery. They were the best people because they were in recovery. And I saw them going to these meetings at this retreat, and they were so friendly, and people were shaking hands, and, oh, it's so good to see you. And I said to one of my coworkers, who was not in a 12-step program either, and I was a normal weight at the time, I said, why don't they have something like that for us normal people? <laughs> you got to watch what you ask for, I'm here to tell you, because, well, that was, my weight then began to spiral out of control. But because I worked in that program, I did learn that there was a program for people who were eaters. I was shocked when I got to the point where it's like, I can no longer control this. I can't stop eating. <clears throat> Joined OA and went to OA for seven years. And at that time, I was only 25 pounds overweight. Lost the 25 pounds, um, went to my meetings. Had It was great. I loved the social aspect of it. This was in another state. And it was just, we had so much fun together, and I loved it. It opened me up to something new. I went through the steps. I worked the steps. I, I did them with my sponsor once. First time, seven years. I'm, t- I'm telling you the truth, okay? Did them once. And I, I got this right. I worked these steps. For, so seven years, I kept my weight down, and I went to the program. And then the meetings started having some problems. There was some bickering in the groups, and there was some disagreement. And all of a sudden, it wasn't so much fun anymore. But I screwed up royally because I lost one of the most important things that I will never forget again, and that's principles before personalities because I said to myself I don't need this I got this seven years I've been abstinent I don't need this I'm just going to do this on my own (laughs) guess what happened (laughs) that's when I gained 80 pounds over a few years period I thought I continued to write I continued to pray I continued to do what I thought worked in the program but I didn't go to meetings I didn't make phone calls. I didn't do any of those things. So that's one of the reasons that I'm so happy to do this workshop is because today I recognize how important my recovery routine is. I wasn't doing it when I was in relapse, and I half-heartedly did it when I was in the first seven years. Anyway, seven years ago, I came back into the program on my, I'm, I'm telling you, humbled on my knees like you would not believe because I was, 
I could not stop. I would say to myself, God, I continued to pray. I would say, God, please help me. Please help me to not eat today, to just to eat a little bit, you know, a, a healthy amount of food today. And I would get up in the morning, and I would, I would do okay for breakfast. And I'd say, thank you, God. But by noon, I was out of control again. And I was saying, why, God, why aren't you answering my prayers anymore? Mind you, I'm not going to meetings, okay? I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do. I've learned in my heart that God does for me what I can't do for myself, but i got to do my part before he's going to do his part. So I wasn't doing what I needed to be doing. So I, um, I went through a period in my um, while I was in relapse where I had a problem with my, um, my spine. I have a degenerative disc disease that was hereditary. It wasn't something just from getting older or an accident or something. My father had it too. My discs became paper thin. And the doctor would say to me, and I was in pain all the time. I, in fact, I know it's probably hard to believe it today, looking at me today, but um, before 2007, I was I had to use one of those little scooters if I went anywhere because I could not walk because I was in excruciating pain all the time. I've had three spine surgeries. Um, but in that pain and in relapse, the doctor would say to me, if you would just lose some of that weight, the pain wouldn't be as bad. Do you think that motivated me to lose the weight? No. And you know why? Because I couldn't do it alone. I could not do it alone. Um, I had I had my last big surgery on my spine in 2007. It took a year of physical therapy for me to be able to walk again. I'm like a new person today. Um, but I still was not back into the program, even going through all of that. Um, in fact, I went to see my spine doctor um, a couple years ago, and I hadn't seen him for some time, had a little minor flare-up, and he said to me, my God, you've lost a lot of weight. <laughs> and he didn't, I was hoping he'd ask me how I did it because I was going to give him the forms, you know, for the doctors. <laughs> he didn't ask. Anyway, um, so God was taking care of me even when I didn't know he was taking care of me because once I got out of that pain, that excruciating pain, and I got back on my feet, I began to have hope about life again. However, I still was not back in program. I moved to... Uh, uh, I moved briefly for a year and a half to Arizona, and that was in um, it was about eight and a half years ago, nine years ago, something like that. And I lived there for a year and a half. Couldn't take the heat. <laughs> I thought, you know, it's a lot cheaper to live there than it is here. All of you know what the prices are like here. But I found out I cannot take the heat. <laughs> anyway, but I'm glad I moved to Arizona because while I was there in relapse, I met this person who uh, I knew, and uh, he said he had lost a lot of weight. And I said to him, so how'd you lose all that weight? Guess what he said? OA. And I said, really? And I felt like God was speaking to me. I really felt like he was speaking to me. Um, I said, wow, where's the meetings at? And he said, he was at my house. He was a, a friend of the family. He said, just a mile down the road, one mile down the road, I really felt like that's what I needed to do. I went to bed that night, and I woke up in tears, and I really felt like 
I don't know how your higher power talks to you, but my higher power said, Cheryl, get your butt back to OA. (laughs) And I went to 30 meetings in 30 days and cried the first two weeks at every meeting. I felt very ashamed of what I had allowed myself to be. You saw how big my pictures were, uh, 80 pounds. But you know what? I got hope. And one of the things, the first things that I heard when I got to my very first meeting was a key to my future happiness. It wasn't just about this weight that I'd gained and about my horrible low self-esteem. My husband and I had been having horrible problems because when I'm in relapse, I'm not a real nice person. I'm basically a pretty nice person these days. But if I'm binging on certain substances that I call my alcoholic foods, I'm just like the alcoholic. My father, when he drank, was nice when he drank, but the next day he was a rager. And I found that happening to me. And I wasn't being very nice to my husband. God love him. Um, You know, he paid me back. That's okay. (laughs) But when I went to my first meeting, the very first thing I heard in my very first meeting, I heard people saying, stay on your own side of the street. What other people think, say, feel, do is none of your business. Your business is your recovery. And it shocked me, and I realized, wow, I have really been up in, you know, <laughs> uh, in his business something else. And I was, I, it shocked me because I thought that I was, well, I was self-righteous about it. Well, if he'd just do things the way I wanted him to, everything would be fine, right? Sure. <laughs> but I, it's, it stuck with me. And what I started doing from day one, I got abstinent the first day that I came back to the meetings. Um, that'll be eight years in um, September since I came back. Um, I got abstinent the first day because I begged God, I'm here, show me what to do. I will do anything. I said to God literally, you want me to try to stand on my head in the corner? I'll do it if it will help me recover. I hate myself. I can't be this way anymore. I want I want that freedom again. The best years of my life were those first seven years that I was in the program. And um, I want that again. Well, you know what I found when I came back? I didn't get what I did the first seven years. I got something even better. I got even better because now I had something that I didn't have the first time, and that was willingness to do anything it takes. I mean, I was willing to do anything. I was that desperate, and I wanted it so bad. So I I got abstinent right away, started working on my steps again right away, And um, it gave me a new freedom. My husband, who couldn't believe that I was a different person all of a sudden, um, tested me sometimes because he wanted to see, is this this for real? Is it going to last? You know, whatever. And every, I started out, here's how I started with the um, issues with my husband. I would say to myself, okay, I'm going to say the serenity prayer. And then I would leave the room, and I would say the serenity prayer. And then he, not believing that I was not going to fight with him, because we were really into the arguing. We never had any physical abuse, but we were pretty much into the blaming each other. Um, He would sometimes antagonize, and I would go, okay, you're going to have to have this fight by yourself. And I would leave the room. That was the best that I could do. That was the best that I could do then. But he did get the message that I'm not going to fight anymore. And that's one of the biggest freedoms this program has given me is I don't have to control anybody else's life. I don't have to be in their business. I am free to just focus on what I need to do 
for me in my life and to give to others if they want it, not to push it on people. So uh, it's a freedom. It really is. What has happened since then, I'll give you the update, is that my husband and I, we've been married over 50 years. And um, I know you guys think I'm only 59, but that's... (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, if I've been married that long, I'm a little older than that. I'm 69. And... um, we, we've been married over 50 years now. We were babies when we got married. But you know what? We have the best relationship we have ever had in our entire marriage because Cheryl learned to keep her mouth shut. Cheryl learned to take care of her own business and just to come from a place of love and acceptance and also to accept that just like me, I make mistakes. He's human. He's going to make mistakes. And we have the best relationship gift of the program that I did not expect. Just wanted to get the weight off. Look what I got. And now uh, it looks like we're going to, you know what? I think I'm going to keep him. <laughs> so, <laughs> so um, I was a child bride. So um, anyway, coming back into the program, I started working on those steps again. I got that 12-step workbook, the brown one. And I started going through it. And there were times it would be like, there's too many questions, and I don't want to do this. And I'd hear, just do it. Sometimes my higher power says to me, just do it. It's kind of like the Nike commercial, you know, just do it. And that's become a mantra of mine when I don't want to do something. Just do it. I think there's very little in life that I have any power over. Very little, but one of the things that I have some power over is my willingness. That's something that God gave me a choice in, whether I'm willing or not willing. Sometimes I ask for, I have to ask for help with that and say, God, help me to be willing. But I do have a choice. We do have some choices that we have a little bit of power over, but that's about it. I've come to see that I have no choice about anything else in life. Um. I was willing. So that is my, if I could, if somebody said to me, what's your strength in this program? It's my willingness. I am still willing, almost eight years later, to do anything it takes for my recovery. Willingness, willingness. And if you don't have willingness, it says in, in our literature, you know, pray for willingness and you'll get the ability. So anyway, coming back into OA uh, was such a blessing for me. I've embraced the program on a level that I did not the first time around. Uh, I'll be talking a little bit about it when we go through the handout that I gave you about uh, some of the things that I do. Um, Getting a recovery routine for me was not something that I started out with. This is my routine. Let's just go for it. It's something that's evolved, and I often, when I have a new sponsee, will tell them, Pick one thing that you're willing to do today and do it. And we'll go from there, and and let's let it evolve. My first willingness was doing that workbook. So I was using the literature. I got a sponsor, and I was sharing with her what was in the workbook. Um, That was writing very minimally what was in the workbook. Um, Getting a sponsor who was very honest with me, because I remember calling her up one time, when I slipped back into, oh, my husband is doing this. And she goes, so uh, what's your part of it? <laughs> thank you, thank you. <laughs> anyway, um, I really worked on the basics when I was in Arizona, just getting back into the program. When I came back to California, 
a year and a half later, uh, which was five and a half, five and a half, six years ago, that's when I began to do other things that were part of my recovery routine and really develop a recovery routine. You don't get a recovery routine right away, but you got to start somewhere and it will evolve. I'm going to pass it. Maybe, uh, can you pass these out, Judy? I'm going to pass out these hand. Give me one of them so I can. Now there is nothing on this there's nothing on these handouts that should be any surprise to any of you because they're all things that you see all the time in meetings. Uh, you hear about them, you read about them, we talk about them. But I thought that when I was thinking about this workshop, I thought that it would be a great idea to get them all down on paper. And there are probably other ones that you um, can think of that I didn't put down, and you can add them. And what I want to do is go through them, and what I would like to do is as we go through this worksheet, I want you to think about where you're at with them. Maybe just make a little note. If any of you need pencils, I have pencils up here. Anybody need a pencil? Here, Judy, you want to pass them out? Okay. Um, So the, the next part... The next part of what we're going to do is going to be a combination of, I'll continue to share some more, but I want to hear from all of you as well. And I also want you to take a few minutes to reflect on these things. That's the work part of the workshop, (laughs) okay? But I want to say before we start that, that what I expect to get out of this for me is I expect to learn something from all of you as well, because I've never gone into a meeting of any kind that I haven't been able to take something out that's been helpful to me. Um, So, okay, the first thing on that list is attitude. Now, from my own perspective, my attitude can change from day to day. If you think about your humanness, some days we wake up and, God, isn't it a great day? And look at how beautiful it is outside, and I'm so glad I'm alive. And other days you get up and it's like, oh, my God, is it morning? Right? So attitude, I want to challenge you with attitude is one of those things that we do have some choice over. Now, we feel certain things. Feelings are not facts, but we have the ability to make a change. None of the rest of the things that I do in my routine work if I don't have the right attitude. So I'm going to ask, ask you who would like to share how you handle your attitude, tips for handling your attitude. I know what I do. I can share that, but I'd like to hear from some of you. Oh, come on, guys. Yeah, come on. <laughs> My name is Tom. I'm a compulsive overeater. So in the middle of the day, if I have an attitude problem, I don't know that that this works. But if I wake up tired, grumpy, and not ready to face the day, I have a little exercise routine I do of breathing and stretching. And then as soon as I'm done, I have 
20% more energy and a little more willingness. I like, I like what he said because one of the things, as a nurse, I used to teach them stress management classes a long time ago, which is funny because I, I taught them and I needed them. <laughs> but, uh, one of the things I used to teach in the class was he talked about getting up and moving, stretching. We used to talk about how people are right-brained and left-brained, and if you're really feeling unsettled, uneasy, can't concentrate, get up and walk, move your arms and walk because it connects your right brain and your left brain again. And then you feel refreshed and more alert. So, you know, there's a physiological reason for that. Besides, if you exercise, a lot of people say when they exercise, get up and do some physical activity, they talk to their higher power at the same time. So anybody else want to make any comment about attitude? Only because we're being recorded. Hi, I'm Kathleen, compulsive overeater. One thing that helps me um, in a fast-paced world of, as a teacher, things come at me, at, oh, gosh, hundreds at a time, decisions. I have many things I need to work on, taking feverish notes. But I do stop, close my mouth, pan out, and say, God, I take a deep breath, God, help me. My part, your part. And I just step away from it, and I kind of give myself a little time to look at it differently. Thank you. Another. Oh, I love you guys. You're participating. Hi, I'm Teresa, compulsive overeater. And lately at work, um, I've been getting a negative attitude because they're not doing it my way. And um, so uh, I don't like to feel miserable inside. So I do some self-talk of how important is this? And then I remind myself they're paying me to do my job and... I really don't want the responsibility of being in control. And then I ask God to help me let go of it. Thank you. Thank you. Those of you who share, if you could sign something when you're done that just says you're releasing the see me after. I'm Alice, compulsive overeater. And when my attitude gets bad, I have to do hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. <laughs> and if I say something snotty to my husband, it's because I didn't. it's time to eat or I'm preparing a meal and he's talking to me. How come you talk to me when I'm getting ready to eat? You, you know, duh. But it's, that's, a kind of, that's the kind of things I have to do to change my attitude. I don't know my attitude's bad until, until I take it out on somebody or I'm almost ready to, you know, run out the house. But... Um, usually, if, if I'm overtired, if I'm the hungry, angry, lonely, and tired, those things um, are the things that, that change. You can I can change my attitude instantly. Just say, what's wrong? Oh, you didn't sleep well last night, or oh, I'm I haven't eaten yet. Oh, <laughs> but those are the things that um, have saved me many times. My attitude. I have a good attitude. I, I say the um, third step prayer before I get up. In the morning, I do that stretching before I get up so I can move. But uh, it's really important. Thank you. And thank you, Alice, for reminding me that people who share have to sign this little release. <laughs> um, okay, yeah. Oh, all right, cool. I'm Leanne, compulsive overeater. And um, 
Hi. I um, start listing things I'm grateful for. And so it gets me out of my head with the negative and, and seeing positive. And it can be something as small as um, someone's smile or just a laugh. I'll make myself laugh. And those kind of things help. I love the journaling. Love the laughter. Okay, so you're talking about tools here, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> okay, one of, the, one of the first things I do when I get up in the morning is check my attitude. Before I even begin my day, I check my attitude because my attitude then creates the basis for the rest of my day. Um, if my attitude is positive, then yay, I'm, I'm, I'm rolling, I'm good. If my attitude, maybe I have something I didn't resolve the night before. Maybe there's something I wasn't aware was bothering me. Maybe I didn't sleep well, maybe I'm not feeling well, whatever it is. My next step on my morning routine and, and I feel for people who work because I know it's hard to have those morning routines, but for me, being retired, thank you, God, for that, um, I can get up in the morning and spend a good hour doing a morning routine that pre- prepares me for the day. The first thing I do is check my attitude. If I, my attitude needs work, then I begin to write. How, how do I write? Every day I write a letter to my higher power every day. Sometimes it's good morning, God, and let it flow. Sometimes I will read something in one of our books, literature, and then I will write about that. But if I have a problem with my attitude, the first thing that I have to do is deal with my feelings because negative feelings block us from our higher power. So it's something that's become so simple, but so I'm so aware of now. And I'm grateful that I've learned that. I didn't realize that I just defeat myself if I just get up and start doing my routine without checking my attitude and taking responsibility for it. So, you know, if you want to write anything on your handout about, you know, what you need to do with your attitude or if it's just something you want to think more about, put a little check mark by it or just ignore it. That's your choice. <laughs> so uh, the next thing on the list is the tools. Now, you all know the tools. You hear them every time you go to a meeting, Right. When I first got back into recovery, started out very slow. Writing about things is, I love writing. That is just something that has been always a release for me. And I'll tell you that there is not just a program spiritual reason for writing. There is actually a physiological reason to write. Again, I told you I used to teach a stress management class. That was one of the things that they used to say. When you get your feelings, what's going on inside Outside of you, by putting it on paper, you get clarity, you get objectivity, you get relief, release from the feelings from it. So writing is so important to me. So I always start my day with writing, writing for dealing with whatever, writing about a plan, asking for guidance, whatever. So writing, I think, is one of our most valuable tools. Um, if you have issues with something and you know you have to do step work on it, and you haven't dealt with the feelings worse, first, to me, I'm just going to end up doing the, I'll go through the steps with it, but I'll be like, at the end of it, why don't I feel any better? It's because I didn't clear my head first by getting the feelings out. So anytime I'm upset about something, worried about something, concerned about something, I write out my feelings first and give them to God, and then I start my step work. 
So that's what works for me. So you might want to take a list at those, a look at those tools. I can honestly say to you at this point in my program, I use every one of those tools every single day. I never thought that would happen. In the beginning, though, my sponsor said, pick one. Pick one and do it. Of course, you know your plan of eating you want to, you want to work on every day. Um, Plan of eating is uh, something that's very individual for people in the program. I remember back when it was 301, gray sheet, and, you know, you've had your how and everything. Thank God we have the freedom to do a food plan. But, you know, what's the bottom line for a food plan is honesty. You know, honesty about what I can and can't eat. What are my, I call them alcoholic foods. What are my alcoholic foods? Those I have to completely stay away from. And being honest about my quantities. I went to the doctor when I'd lost 60 pounds. And I thought, I was proud of myself. Well, I'd come down 60 pounds. And the doctor said to me, well, you know, Cheryl, you've done well, but you really need to lose some more weight. Boy, was I ticked. I was ticked. I did not like it. It was polite with the doctor, but I went home and I said, God, haven't I done enough? Now, how am I going to do this? And it hit me. You know, my doctor was just telling me what I needed for my health. And, and, and I appreciate that. But I prayed for willingness to change my food plan for three days. On the fourth day, I woke up willing. And I lost another 20 pounds. But that's what it takes. That I, I, I talk about that willingness stuff. I was not willing to do it. I wanted that to be good enough. But I had to get gut level honest with myself. You know what? My doctor's telling me I'm not at a healthy weight. What I need to listen to that. Do I want to be healthy? Do I want to work this program? Do I want to be, you know, I want to be a good example, too, for people. One of the things about, you know, if you, we could go over all of the tools but I don't think that's necessary. You know what they are. I would encourage you to look at them and, and think about how many, how many phone calls do I, I make. Do I just call the same old people all the time, or do I reach out to others sometimes? Uh, do I reach out to people who are hurting, or do I just call people I'm comfortable with? You know, um, Oh, I don't need to make phone calls. I get plenty, right? So, <laughs> again, self-honesty. Did you have a comment? A question? A question? Okay. When you make phone calls, what is the goal? I always feel so uncomfortable. I need help with that. Okay, I would like to hear what other people have to say about that, but I will share on that as well. <laughs> there's, there's a gal in program who calls, and, and she call, I, she, I'm on her list. She has a list of about 20 people that she calls, and periodically my name comes up, and she'll say, Hi, this is so-and-so. I'm making an outreach call, and I say, So, hi, how are you doing? She'll go, I'm fine. We'll got to go. Bye. <laughs> and, I'm just, and I smile. But I try, to, I try to get it to be more than that. You know, so how are you? You know, what's going on with you? Oh, I'm fine. I'm at work now, you know. <laughs> so I, one of the ways when you make a call, I think, is, is a service thing. You reach out to someone else and ask them how they're doing. What's going on with you? How, how's your program? I often ask people, what would you hear at your meeting? That will stimulate things. There's like reach out, touch their soul, soul to soul, not just, okay, make an outreach call, you know. An outreach call means I reach, my soul reaches out to your soul. Other people want to comment on what you do with your calls?
of course, there are things that are more structured, too, if you're working with a sponsor and stuff, what you're going to cover. Well, the, um, I'm Alice. Hi, Alice. Um, the outreach call, I, a lot of the newcomers, um, we tell them to make those three calls a week, a day, and their sponsor. And they say, but a lot of times I get a message machine, well, that's okay, you made the outreach call. <laughs> and sometimes that will just keep them going. Oh, you mean I don't have to talk to anybody? <laughs> but when you get an outreach call and you didn't call them back, that's, that's, that's when it comes back to you. And with me, um, when I've been, I've been calling different people that I haven't seen for a while in the program, those are my outreach calls. If I haven't seen someone for three or four weeks, I call them and say, hey, how you doing? I miss you. And then sometimes they have time to talk, sometimes they don't. But just that call, sometimes that, thank you for thinking of me. They thought of me to call. That's all you need is to know that somebody thought of you to call because you're abstinent, because you're going to meetings and you get to see them. But sometimes I get lazy and I just don't make a call. And then I'm thinking, nobody calls me. But... <laughs> But that's the thing is some people are callers. Judy called me. I was so grateful for her call. I was so glad she told me she was going to be here. So just those little tiny two-minute calls is sometimes all you really need. Anybody else? Okay. I You know, calls calls are meetings between meetings. I love when I get into a call with someone on the phone and we're sharing things that we heard in meetings and things that are how it impacted our life and, and really that heart-to-heart sharing about where you're at and what's going on. And I love it when somebody is stressed and they say, can I just vent? I say, sure, go ahead. You know, We have that freedom with each other. So make your calls worth something. Make them worth the time. But remember, it's about your soul touching the other person's soul. That's what those calls are about, a meeting in between meetings, because our souls do touch each other in the meetings. Um, I'm not going to go over every single tool, but I want to talk about service. You know, when I was in the program the first time around in that first seven years, I didn't do a lot of service. Oh, you know, I'd, I'd lead a meeting or whatever, you know, but I didn't do a lot. I did go out and speak a l- once in a while, but, you know, I didn't do a lot. Today's service is like, I love it. And you know why I love service? I love it because it helps me to stay on the path. It feels so good to share with someone else something that might be helpful. But, man, what it does for me, and I'm going to tell you a little trick that people don't often talk about with service that I'm going to be honest with you about. One of the things I love about service is there's times when I struggle. And you know what? There's times when I want to eat something that I shouldn't eat. And there's times if I just had to answer to myself, I might give in and do it, but when I say, you know what, I can't let my sponsee down, or I want to be a good role model for this program, I can do it for you sometimes when I can't do it for myself. So I didn't hear many people talk about that, but that's just a fact, and I am grateful for that. That helps me at the times when I can't do it by myself. Um, Okay, the steps. Let's talk about the steps for a minute. You know, these steps, I, I have to laugh sometimes when I hear people say, I had, a, I had a sponsee in Arizona who I would say to her, so she'd call me up and she'd say, I'm upset about this or that or that. So have you written about it? Have you taken it through the steps? I've done those steps, she'd say. And why do people keep telling me to do these steps? I've done these steps. <laughs> Never could, she fired me, (laughs) never could get through to her that these steps 
are not just something we do once. We do it on our food, not because that's the only thing we do it on. We do it on our food because that's where we learn how to work these steps. But I've learned for me that these steps are literally the way I live my life. Now, what does that mean? That means that there is a whole lot of crap out there that I am powerless over. I mean, you think about, I, I can't think of much that I'm not powerless over. And I have 12 steps that because I can recognize that I'm powerless, if it's bothering me, I got something I can do something about. What do I do? I take it through the steps. What does that mean? I start with admitting I'm powerless. You know, the principle of step one is honesty. I wasn't very honest when I was in my disease because I didn't think I had any problems. I just thought everybody else had problems. (laughs) I didn't take responsibility for my problems. Uh, I blamed them on everybody else. I love these steps because these steps set me free. So I start with the steps and I go right through them. I start with step one, God, and I write it out. I write it out because writing slows my thinking down. It narrows my focus and it puts me in a meditative state. Meditation, you know, (laughs) it's cool. Um, So I write it out. I write it out. God, I am powerless over whatever. And sometimes, God bless him, sometimes it's still my husband on the list. (laughs) But at least I'm not jumping on him, you know. I'm like, I'm powerless over his attitude. Um, And then I have... You want to say something? Okay, Thomas. This is Thomas again, still a compulsive reader. So, um, I just this is just a tool that you have to work the steps. But the World Service, um, a World Service Committee has made a form, a, like a little questionnaire, and at the top it's called uh, "Working the Steps on a Problem," mm-hmm. and and it, you can write on, on the paper, but there's never enough room for me. So I was just going, taking my journal and take the form. Mm-hmm. And usually I use it when I'm like I'm angry at someone. I got a, a, a interpersonal relationship issue, and I just go through all eleven of them and I read it to my sponsor, and magically it transforms. Oh, thank you, thank you. Mm-hmm. And you can download it off the website. Thank you. Hi, I'm Betsy, compulsive overreader. Here's a little pamphlet called 12-Stepping a Problem. You put it in your purse and take it with you, and you can 12-step any problem. It's a great pamphlet. Um, speaking of those tools, lots of literature available if you go to um, the World Service website. Um, back to um, the steps. By the way, I mentioned it before. Before I start taking something to the steps, I usually vent my feelings first because then that helps me to hear the answers that will come. Uh, I have to get honest with myself. Do I really believe God can take care of this problem? Step two, and I get back into hope doing that. Step three, am I really willing to turn it over? If I'm not willing, I probably need to do some more feelings writing and pray for willingness. When I get to step four, people are afraid of step four. I don't know what it is that people just have such anxiety about step four. I love step four because step four is four, five, six, seven, is where I learn what I, with God's help, can do something about. I was powerless over an issue, whatever was going on, but then suddenly there's, a, there's an answer. And I just, I love the steps. They free me. Um, I never do 
now I won't say never, I rarely do a step 10. You go, what? That's one of the steps. Because for me, and I say that because for me, step 10 done for me correctly is for me to go back and do one through nine. I have to, I have to be thorough. It helps me to be thorough. There are little things that come up that I can do a 10th step on and I can, I can do, and I don't have to write it out and stuff. But if it's something that's bigger, I have to go back and do one through nine. So that for me is my 10th step. Um, Take a moment just to look at these these steps and ask yourself. There's principles of each of them. I learned that the steps are not just the steps. There's a principle related to each one. It's probably only been in the last three years that I've really been focused on the principles and being willing to absorb them and make them part of my life. If you want to flip over to the... Go ahead. I know this is annoying, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, they come up and talk in the microphone. Alice, compulsive reader. Um, I also was at the world service, and um, that you were talking about service. Um, being able to go with 200 people that are all abstinent, that are from all over the world, and then find out that you got a new tool, a new literature, and the literature part, um, where which she just gave us on that paper. When you get your new 12 and 12, after September, they're going to have these um, principles set on the first page. You know where they have, they have the, the step or the tradition, and they'll have that principle on that page. So the new people coming in are going to have another new tool. The last time they redid the book, they put an index in it. So the literature is changing and evolving, and when you're in service, you get to hear all this stuff. So it's, it's really amazing. Okay, so just take a minute. And if, would anybody else like to share on the steps and how they how they work in your life, or any suggestions? Yeah, and please, I apologize for not asking you guys to sign when we started, but please remember if you shared to come up and sign the release afterwards. Hi, my name's Angela. I'm a compulsive overeater, and um. What I found has worked really well is like a quickie thing because all through the day something will irritate me. A person will say something um, or I'm on my way somewhere and I'm getting all freaked out. And um, I say the first three steps out aloud while I'm driving and it's amazing the result from that. I get, it's like I get out the way and then really neat things will happen and so that's and just and I say the third step prayer as well. Step one, two, three, and then the third step prayer. Sometimes I'll insert what it is I'm irritated about. Um, it doesn't seem like my anxiety and irritation go down, but that's a real quick way of, of you know, pushing out the way. So I'm grateful to have learned that trick. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. Could you let me know when it's twenty till ten? Yeah. Okay. Um, Let's see, where were we? If you flip around onto the back side, and again, this is all just for your, I'm not telling you what to do. I'm only telling you what works for me. My morning routine consists of using the tools. I read something, I write, I pray, I meditate. If I have an issue, I take it through the steps. Um, Prayer is so important part of my morning routine. I find that if I ground myself first thing in the morning, my day goes great. 
if I happen to hit one of those days where the world hits me in the face before I can get up and do that, I'm kind of out of kilter, and it's a little bit of a struggle to get back to that calm, peaceful place. So um, prayer is something. I was agnostic when I came into this program. I wasn't sure there was a God, and I wasn't sure there wasn't a God. I was kind of afraid to say there wasn't because he might get me. (laughs) But (laughs) that was honestly my attitude when I came into the program. It's like, I don't know about this God stuff, but, you know, I grew up in a church that was, we were sent to church as children, and we were sent to a church that my parents really didn't know what, they just wanted Sunday morning to themselves. So <laughs> they put us on a bus and sent us to a church, and I scared, it scared me to death because that God in that church was out to get you, punishing you, you know, watching every move you make, and you're going to go to hell if you screw up, you know. So <laughs> I wasn't sure about this God. I didn't trust this God. And when I first came into the program and I found out that my first sponsor said, you know, write a job description of what a higher power would be if you had the ideal higher power. I thought, oh, boy, I'm in trouble now because if there is a God, he's really going to get me. But <laughs> it didn't happen. And what I ended up writing basically was the description of an absolutely perfect parent who would love me unconditionally, who would guide me without making me feel bad, uh, who would, just all positive stuff. But my initial concept of my higher power has grown so tremendously. I mean, it's beyond, I don't even, I won't spend time sharing that with you because it's just, it just keeps growing and astounding me. And there are some words in one of our literature books that I just love. It's called sacred awe. Have you heard that term in the readings? Sacred awe. And that is something that I I love those words because that's how I see my higher power and my higher power working in life. When I recognize it now, it's that sacred awe. I'm, I love that feeling. Anyway, We have so many prayers in our literature. If you look on the back page of this, um, you know, we have, oh, that wonderful serenity prayer. And, you know, have you ever had to say the serenity prayer about ten times before you settle down? Yeah, me too. (laughs) Um, The third step prayer was probably the first prayer beyond the serenity prayer that I really took to heart. And just, I love that prayer because it tells me exactly what I'm supposed to be doing today. And that's turning my life and my will over to God and letting God guide me. I was pretty independent and didn't want to be guided. I wanted to do what I wanted to do when I wanted to do it. And I was pretty miserable doing that. But when I turn my life over to God and say, show me what you want me to do today, that sometimes that's part of my morning routine. Okay, I'll write my letter to God. God, this is what I think I'm supposed to be doing today, but please let me know if you have something different in mind and help me to be open to it. And sometimes I get to do what's in my route, what I'd plan, and sometimes God has something else in mind, and that's okay today. I don't get upset when plans change. Um, the seventh-step prayer, I, I, I remember the first time I prayed that seventh-step prayer, I felt so, I, I had a spiritual awakening with that. I really did. I mean, it just, I felt so free. It was wonderful. And I love that prayer. I love the 11-step prayer. The 11-step prayer, the, the prayer of St. Francis of Assisi. Um, it's just amazing. Some people use it as a 10th step. Uh, to kind of check their behavior, and I do that sometimes, check myself. How am I doing with these things? You're all familiar with it, right? I don't need to read it. 
Um, but I, I, I just love the prayers. There are other prayers, though, in our literature, in, particularly in the big book, that people don't talk about as much. Um, one of them is the unawakening prayer. Before we begin, we ask God to direct our thinking, especially asking that it be divorced from self-pity, dishonest, or self-seeking motives. It's in the big book on page 86. Um, there's the concluding meditation prayer, uh, another one that I often use. You know, I do my morning routine, and in my, I usually end with some meditation, and, and that's a part of it. Show me today. Show me what you want me to do today is basically the message of that. Um, I know you're going to help me. You're going to be there with me to take care of whatever comes up. Um, the When we retire at night prayer, um, doing some 10-step work. Uh, during. And by the way, 10-step, I think if we... So I hear people say, oh, I do a 10-step at night. Um, I think for me, I said if I have a big problem, I do the 1 through 9. But I consider myself more doing a continual, like, 10-step during the day, all day long. I'm checking myself constantly during the day. That's something I got the awareness from this program to do, is constantly checking myself. Um, anyway, so take a look at those prayers. Are, how are you doing with those? Are any of you... Are you using them? Are you actually making a conscious effort? I was the serenity prayer was it for me in the beginning, but it's evolved to so many prayers. And there was a friend of mine in Ohio in program who used to talk about the three C's, and I, we I used to hear it a lot. He'd say the three C's are constant conscious contact. It's like live your life as a prayer, constant conscious contact. And do I do that perfectly? No, but I do it a lot better than I ever did. And I'm going to keep working at doing it, even though I'm never going to do it perfect. I'm going to keep at it. What was the conscious? Conscious, constant contact with your higher power. So I've shared with you a lot of what my routines are. Um, I'd like to hear from some of you. I'd like to take questions, see if some of you want to share what your routine is. Um, anybody have any questions? Let's start with that. Is this helpful to kind of have it all on? I, I, when I was doing this, I was thinking about what do I do and what are the things that I use? So that's how I developed it. But after I got done, I thought, you know what? This is great for me to check myself. I can use, I find all kinds of ways to check myself. And when I say check myself, I'm not saying to criticize myself. I'm saying just to check in, how am I doing? And sometimes I'll say, so God, how am I doing today? What do I need to look at? What do I need to change? Oh, you're very welcome, and I'm glad to hear that because I loved putting it together. Um, yeah. How about some other comments then? Some other people would like to come up and share. Let's talk about your recovery routines, how your routines have been helpful for you, or what your unique routine is. My routine, I kind of shared with you. I get up, I spend that hour in the morning, uh, and I love that time. I get up before anybody else is up. It's quiet. I'm alone, just me and God. That's cool. And, and I do, I use the tools. By the way, I will tell you, people say to me, you know, when you go to a meeting, it's a chip meeting, and you have an anniversary, and they'll say, so how'd you do it? And I say, 
one sentence, and it's very simple. I use the tools to help me work the steps so that I can practice these principles in all my affairs. It really has become that simple for me. Not always easy, but it really is that simple. So. Hi, I'm Betsy, compulsive overreader. Hi. When I get up, I um, I do the prayer part. I do the um, I read the, the, I recite the first three steps, and I do the third step prayer, and um, then I sort of talk to God about what's going to be going on in my day, and ask um, He shear it to divorce my thinking of self pity, just like the book Big Book says, dishonest motives, and to put my thoughts on a higher plane. And then I'm in a big book workshop where the leader makes a differentiation between meditation and contemplation. So after I pray, I just set my phone alarm for one minute, and I, the way he uses the word meditation is that you actually attend to your thoughts. You don't just follow your breathing. You actually tune into the wee small voice, and that's supposedly you know, my spiritual higher self or God guiding me, and that's where I get my guidance. So I only do that for one minute, and then I do five minutes of um, following my breathing, and, and I get just trying to learn how to meditate that way. But tuning into the wee small voice as, as part of the routine to, to, to hear what God is saying to me has become very helpful for me. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning. I'm Rick. I'm a compulsive eater. And I really value my mornings. I actually get up an hour early, deliberately, and I've shifted addictions. I have a new addiction. I'm a tubaholic. And what that means is I get up, usually with not that good of an attitude, and I turn on my tub. And I go, I've got seven minutes to make coffee. And in seven minutes, I come back with my coffee and my warm tub and my literature And because I've got a really bad memory, I have a written plan of action on my phone. And right now, I've been taking notes galore because that's where I get my my inspiration from in the morning. So for today in Voices of Recovery, I read them on my phone, and I highlight them on my phone, and I I, I actually pray about them. And, uh, And then I go ahead and I read my written plan of action pretty much every day because I forget. But I read it, and I go, oh, yeah, (sighs) I have a plan of action. And then I visualize the day. I've only got today. And so I just visualize it, and I go, okay, so what am I going to eat? Yeah, I got that done, and what's? And and then I say, okay, God, I'm powerless because that's probably not going to happen. Well, the food will. But that's about it. That's the only thing that I seem to have control over is what I'm going to put in my mouth. Beyond that, life on life's terms is crazy. It really is. And, uh, and that's okay. So, so it's, I start my, literally I start my day off by crawling back into the womb. That's kind of my visualization of this warm water. And, uh, and the coffee kicks in and I have a, I got my day all visualized and I've done my reading. Oh, and then I text friends. I got some friends. Uh, I got friends. You know. And I text them and they text me back. And uh, that's always a good thing. But, you know, it's, it's and, and I did it, oh, and I have a resentment to process. Are you ready? Got up, walked into my hotel room. There is no tub. What am I going to do? Had to turn that over. Had to change my routine a little bit. Didn't like it. 
didn't like it. <laughs> the sink didn't work. I never thought of that. It might. So, anyways, that's that's what I do. Thank you. Thank you. I wanted to add something about uh, literature. You know, I I have all of the approved OA literature. I also have other books that I read that are spiritual books, and where you're absolutely encouraged to do whatever works for you. Uh, one of the things that I learned about literature, though, is it's not what you read. Because I could read a sentence, and I could read it over ten times, and it just wouldn't click back in the beginning. It's not what you read. It's what do you do with that? Okay, for me, when I read, I like to take it, not read a lot at one time, to really take it slow and examine the sentence. When I was in Arizona, I I went to a meeting where they literally, it was a big book study, and they literally studied the big book sentence at a time. And took apart the whole sentence. And I've learned to look up words in the dictionary. It expands my meaning of them and what it means in my life. I've learned to examine it and look inside. How does this apply to me? And then what do I do with it after that? Do I share it with somebody? Maybe I use it as a mantra the rest of the day. So it's not what you read. It's not how much you read. It's what do you do with what you read. So I just wanted to share that with you. Um, Meditation, somebody, I'll I'll come back to you just a second here. Um, Meditation is something that's very different for everybody. Uh, Some people can get into the, um, you know. And for others, I've heard people say, I can't meditate. Well, let me tell you, if you are writing, that's a form of meditation. It's a beginning because when you write, you shut out the rest of the world. You narrow your focus. You There's no noise around you. You're focused on what you're writing. So that's the beginning of what meditation is like if you're having a hard time with with doing it. Writing really helps you develop that skill. But there are lots of ways to meditate as well. I've done a um, workshop on prayer and meditation. I won't give you guys another workshop right now. (laughs) Okay. Anybody else like to share? You guys are great, by the way. Hi, I'm Nicole, compulsive overeater. I just wanted to share a little bit about um, what meditation is for me. I have a very hard time being still. Um, So for me, I I love to run. And I used to have a very uh, dysfunctional relationship with exercise. I used it as a purging mechanism. But now I have a very beautiful relationship with exercise where I'm able to get up and run and force myself to focus on my breathing and literally have to check in with my body. First, physically, how am I feeling? How did I wake up this morning? I have a toddler, so I don't really get to set my own schedule in the morning, but um, I do make sure I set time for me to get out and run or be physically active. And after checking in with myself, I feel emotionally checking in with myself. Am I sad? Am I angry? And if I'm able to hang on to resentment when I'm running up a hill, it must be something I need to really think about. So (laughs) it kind of forces me to do that as well. And usually when I come back, I've gained some clarity around whatever I'm feeling or able to write or um, just really narrow my focus, as you said, beautifully um, for the rest of the day or whenever it is I'm able to give myself that time. So it works really nicely for me. Leanne, a compulsive eater, overeater. Um, I, I just have 10 days, and I'm new. <laughs> Thank you. Um, what I have started to do for a routine is that um, my morning starts with um, all our literature and, and a 
sermon in the morning. I, and um, then when I get to work, I start journaling and, and, you know, make my plan or whatever. But my lunch, which I'm really enjoying, is that I go out on the roof of my uh, garage. I have to park on a five-tier thing. And so I get on the roof and I walk it with my headphones in, listening to other OA um, podcasts. And so I, I'm tuned in and I'm getting a meeting on my lunch. And so if my bad attitude or anything like that, I feel different because I've one, I've walked two, I've gotten some fresh air and three, I'm listening to another OA person who has, you know, gone before me and that's really helping. So that's glad you're here. Awesome. Okay. You mentioned walking. Um, there's someone I know in the program who I love the way she walks and meditates because she, well, there's two people I know that walk and, and meditate. And one of them, when they walk, they say, more the less me. And that's their meditation when they walk. And I love that. And that's a mantra for me sometimes when I can feel myself get into more me because suddenly the wants come up. Okay, more the less me. Uh, another one uh, I hear her say often that, you know, what helps her to get grounded in the morning is right foot, left foot, right foot, left foot as she walks. So, you know, walking is a great way to meditate. How about others? Questions or sharing? None? Okay. So you guys about had it now, right? <laughs> okay. Okay, well... Um, Let me just close by saying that my routine is so important to me now. I didn't have that much of a routine the first time around. I feel like my recovery program is as strong as what I'm willing to do. And today I'm willing to have that routine and I'm willing to to put my heart into it, not just do it superficially. Um, You're allowed to have any routine that works for you. One person's routine may not work, another, another may not work for you. Find your own, your plan, your plan of action. I'll, I'll, I'll give it to you in just a second here, Alex. Your plan of action is going to change. Your food plan is going to change. That evolves as you go through the program. You, it, you begin to tweak things, and they get better and better. Um, everything that you do, just do it and trust that it's going to get better. And each day, ask, I ask myself, and this is something I ask my sponsees often, what are you willing to do today? When they're struggling, what are you willing to do today? And I ask myself that too. What am I willing to do today? Today, thank God, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to stay in recovery because I don't want to ever be that woman that you saw in my pictures again. That woman smiled in that picture, but she wasn't very happy. This woman who's standing up here in front of you today is very happy and very, and loves life. And I'm very happy to be here and to share with you. And I think Alice wanted to say one thing, and then we'll close. Yeah, um, Alice, compulsive overeater. Um, the, the program was good for me. I had an excellent sponsor, and I had someone that was on. You know, every day I had to call her and everything, and that's what I did. I did whatever she said <laughs> for the first three years, I think it was. But um, then it got into fellowship, and it was like I was alone. I mean, I had that sponsor, and I did my phone calls. I, did, I was like a robot when I was new. And then I found Rudd aerobics, and then I found a friend that wanted to do it and someone else that wanted to do it. And now we've got a newcomers coming in, and they're just saying, you do what? I want to do that, you know. And it's the fellowship is growing in, in our area. Um, our our uh, Friday night morning meeting, they said, who's going to convention? 
everyone had their hand up and there was 15 people in the room and it was like oh you know and last and a couple of years ago we went we traveled to sacramento together but you build a fellowship when you eat you know, we eat together we go to a certain restaurant that has our kind of food and we all eat different food but we all have our abstinent meals and it's together we do this it's, if i had to do this alone i'd be dead in the, in the shade if i had to just worry about what i do i'd be dead but when i when i know i'm going to see my my girlfriend on friday and saturday and, and friday and uh, Monday and Friday mornings, that's our water aerobics, 8 to 9 o'clock in the morning. It's freezing out there sometimes, but it, the water's warm. So, you know, you have to have your good attitude to go into that water every day. I say, okay, God, I'm doing this. But my health depends on it. You know, and sometimes we don't even look at our health. I, if I didn't go to water aerobics yesterday, I probably wouldn't be standing here today because I, I, I move slower. <laughs> but those are the kind of things that um, fellowship is, is, is what I thrive on right now. And um, having all those women that we sat at a table um, last night, and we've never, some of us haven't eaten together, but to have people that you haven't seen in a while show up for a convention and sit and talk, it, fellowship is really important part of this program. Thank you. Okay, um, I just want to share one more thing. Um, I have a sponsor who has been in the program for 35 years who is just an absolutely beautiful, wonderful person who has taught me so much. And the essence of what, the, what she has taught me is, number one, there's always a lesson. If you're struggling, she said anytime she struggles, she says, okay, God, thank you. I know you're about to give me a lesson, and I'm grateful for the lesson. There's always a lesson. The other thing that she's taught me is learn the lesson and come back to a place of love, and it's really that simple. So that's what I'd like to leave you with today. So, Leanne, how would you like to lead us in a closing prayer here? Your choice. All right. Join hands, and I just please come up and sign if you spoke, okay?